Support for MPB comes from the Mississippi Museum of Art in Jackson. What Became of Dr. Smith by artist Noah Satterstrom is on view now through September 22, 2024. Learn more at msmuseumart.org. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. Welcome to the Mississippi Arts Hour on MPB Radio, where each week we talk to a musician, artist, author, or other creative Mississippian working in the arts across the state. I'm your host, Melody Moody-Thordis, Arts-Based Community Development Director with the Mississippi Arts Commission. And today I'm speaking with musician Hal Jeans. Hal, thanks so much for joining us. Well, thanks so much for having me. Well, um, so many people know you um, as a musician across Mississippi. So I'm curious, did you grow up? Are you from Mississippi? Yes. yes. Okay. And I, where did you grow I up? I was uh, born in Jackson and lived uh, lived in the city for uh, just my first four years and then moved to the country just south of Florence. And uh, without... without uh, Thinking about times I've been away for college and uh, and in my livelihood working, I had some time in Atlanta, but uh, my roots are Mississippi, and I live in Florence. Yeah, you're right still now. in Florence. Yeah. Wow. Well, I didn't realize you were born in Jackson, born and raised. So tell me a little bit about what your what your childhood was like. What were your parents like? What was it like growing up in Jackson? Well, we my dad my dad worked. Uh, a lot, and uh, my mother was, uh, to my earliest memory, restoring an old house in Florence or south of Florence. And uh, so my dad worked as hard as he could to pay for all the things my mother was doing. And uh, but he was he traveled a lot, and he took us with him. And so I got to go a lot of places and see a lot of things growing up. You have siblings. I have an older brother. Uh, his name's William Jeans, and he's a. Uh, he made a career out of uh, of being a writer, and he was um, he was the editor of Car and Driver magazine, and then the publisher of both Car and Driver and Road and Track. And so he's well known in the automotive oh, yeah. world. But he's since retired, and he freelances, and he's back in the area. Oh, now. he is back uh-huh. in the area. Okay. Um, well, so tell me a little bit about. I want to know about how jeans when you're like say middle school high school age like were you playing music were you what were you into oh absolutely i was playing music i i uh, never excelled at sports and i always loved music and from the first grade on i was involved in activities that had to do with music at the school in the fourth grade i was uh, played the tonette or flutophone uh, we just called it a song flute, but it was a little recorder-type instrument that was in the key of C, and it was really just an introduction uh, to music reading because there's no sharps or flats in C, and that's much easier. Fifth grade, oh. I joined the uh, junior band, and by the seventh grade, I was in the high school band because they needed numbers, and if you could, <laughs> if you could learn to march and carry a beat, you were in. So, what instrument were you played, playing in high oh, school excuse band? Excuse me, I played the drums. Oh, okay, my many, first many instrument. Years. I like uh-huh. that. Um, so you played you played the quads, or you played the? I, they always made me play the big bass. I think to learn. Well, rhythm. Uh, when uh, in school you start out. Uh, just playing the tom-tom, and mm. then you move from that to the 
cymbals maybe then from that to the bass drum and then from that to the snare drum and mm -hmm. so you kind of just worked your way up the ladder that way. <laughs> that's right i don't think i spent one year on the snare other than that i i got relegated to the big big old bass <laughs> so. well i didn't i loved it all i sure did i didn't but i i didn't set out to be a drummer i, I thought i wanted to play the uh cornet mm. and but i walked in the band hall and uh, band director took one look at me and said, you're a drummer. Go back here. So, And you said, okay, well, let's try it. I huh? did what he said. <laughs> <laughs> so when did you start playing other instruments? Like, I think of you as a mandolin player. I know you play guitar and other instruments. But... Well, I, I, I am a mandolin player, uh, uh, and I can play the guitar, but mandolin is... Uh, has taken up my time mostly and still still uh, challenges me greatly. And I took that up in 1980. So I was um, in my mid-20s, I guess. And then. I'm always curious with mandolin players because it's a little, I don't know, left to center, you know. I'm always curious, what drew you to the to the mandolin? Well, the, um, the reason is of no... No method to it. Uh, uh, my mother found an old mandolin in a junk store and asked me would I be interested in it, and I said yes. And some of my friends that I'd played music with in the past were all changing instruments, and and so there I was ready to go with that. I, I, I She said, here it is, and I said, bring it to me, and I've stuck with it. But I don't know that I would have chosen it, you know, if right. I was... I wanted to play, at that time, I wanted to play the pedal steel guitar because there was a lot of that in uh, popular music at uh -huh. that time. Did you and eventually learn how to play the pedal steel? I, I, I fooled with it some, but the mandolin took over and uh, bluegrass music became uh, the thing we were interested in most. We kind of evolved from that, uh, involved from trying to do the country rock thing, and, mm -hmm. and then we got more serious about bluegrass. And I remember. So it, I just stayed with the mandolin. Uh -huh. Yeah, that makes sense. I remember uh, for me in fifth grade, we could pick an instrument, and they said, What instrument? I said, uh, electric guitar, of course. They said, that's not an option. <laughs> like it's, that's not a band. It's middle school band. band. That's yeah. not a school band instrument. That's uh -huh. right. I said, okay, next school is drums. You know, so we went with that. But I couldn't believe I was obsessed with the well, electric guitar. Well, when I took up the mandolin and uh, left the drums behind, I thought... What a wonderful deal. Nobody ever helped a drummer carry all the stuff with the trap kit. And I'm thinking, here the mandolin fits in this small case. That's right. I've got it made. And then uh, eventually married a bass player and <laughs> ended up right back where I was before carrying a lot of stuff. That's right. Stuff. I was just thinking. <laughs> I was just thinking your wife and our Fred Valley, like small women that play the, the stand-up bass. Yes. <laughs> yeah, yes, yes, yes. Um, it's funny. Uh, I've seen... Valley many times, you know, many men will volunteer to help her carry the big bass. It's She's like, no, no, <laughs> right, I'll get it myself. <laughs> <laughs> That's exactly right. Um, Perhaps God is the well, same Well, Valley's way. no shrinking violet. She's going <laughs> to do her thing. I just love her. That's exactly right. So, okay, so you went to Ole Miss. Yes, I did. And studied English. What made you decide to, to go that direction? Well, uh, I was... From day one, I was set to go in business with my dad in the family mm -hmm. business. And I started out in business school and quickly uh, got bored, to be honest. And I asked him if he would, if he would be unhappy if I changed 
to liberal arts, and I loved literature and that sort of thing, so I started uh, to change my major to, to English, and then I got into that, so, and um, I was also studying Latin because oh, wow. I was fascinated with the Romans and the history as much as anything, but I'd taken Latin in high school, and so I stuck with it through college, and I ended up with a double major in English lit literature and Latin. Interesting. And a minor in speech. Oh, so, you know, speaking for myself here, but for people who just know you as a musician, I am curious, what what career have you had that, that I had? We, that you and I have never gotten a chance to talk about before. Well, uh, we were in the diesel engine business. Uh, we we represented Detroit Diesel, which was a division of General Motors, and we were what was considered to be a distributor, so we were the next step from the factory. We had a network of dealers, and and then we sold power units that we would build, generators and, and the like. And and our bread and butter was um, was the forestry business in the oil field. Oh, interesting. And that was based here? Yes. In Jackson, I should say. It was based here, but it still involved quite a bit of travel. So. Oh, right, I'm sure. So you did that You did that for most of your, your career then? Yes, yes, wow. yes. I did that through 1989, I guess. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, and then, and then you were playing music throughout. I mean, you kind of yes. playing playing gigs, and so um, outside of actual high school band, right? Uh -huh. Tell me about your first band, band, right? Well, I, in the eighth grade, uh, we were going to do a school play, mm -hmm. kind of a, a a loosely put together thing that the kids come up with, not not a play that you think of. When, mm -hmm. And uh, so we were going to have music and I'd played drums and I had a classmate played the guitar and we got another guitar player. And the three of us started playing just for that, just for that event. And um, then we continued to play for the next several years. What was the name of that band? Well, you know, to be honest with you, I can't remember what we <laughs> 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 and I'd good. ask my buddy, but he has since passed away. <laughs> <laughs> What's well, the experience you remember? Well, we had a ball. Anything. We sure did. But, you know, it, we were mostly what you would have considered a garage band. Oh, right, right. But we did we did get little gigs at uh, some country clubs and some private events and that sort of thing. But we probably made more noise than music. <laughs> yeah, well, and, you know, I think you, anytime you're doing something like that, you're learning how to play with people, too, you know, oh, in sure. a way that, in a different way, I think, than, like, a high school band, you know. You're playing off each other, I guess you could say, even yes. if you're just messing around, yes. you know. Yes. Um, well, so I know you mentioned band, but I'm curious. You play so many instruments. Are you self-taught? Um, in other ways, or have you always kind of gravitated towards taking lessons or a certain kind of learning style? Well, I, uh, when I started playing the mandolin, um, I taught myself. There, there were a few instruction books at the time, and and I there was a jam session at uh, Sherman Lee Dillon had a music store and had a jam session every Saturday, and I, I was there religiously, and. 
I taught myself to play the mandolin, and then one day I woke up and realized I had taught myself quite a few bad habits, and I spent the next two or three years trying to straighten that up. Mm-hmm. But, so I'm, um, I'm not a proponent of uh, teaching yourself. I think it'd be good to go get some lessons, <laughs> even if I didn't have sense <laughs> enough to do so. <laughs> I, I can relate. I, uh, I, I tried to teach myself the claw hammer style of banjo and our, our mutual friend Jamie Williams one day said wait what like what do you think you're, what do you think you're playing I said claw hammer you know and he said no I think you need to talk to some banjo players well that that's not very encouraging well, next time I see Jamie I may <laughs> I may bring this up chastising oh no he, he's been the most encouraging person um with music but but you know like you said it just you know, if you teach yourself the wrong thing and then you memorize it, you got to unteach. And that is twice as hard. That's exactly right. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. Welcome back to the Mississippi Arts Hour on MPB Radio. Each week on the Arts Hour, representatives from the Mississippi Arts Commission speak with different creative people across Mississippi. Today, I'm talking to my friend and Mississippi musician, Hal Jeans. So, Hal, before the break, we were talking um, about a lot of things, about the way you got started in music and uh, kind of the uh, your formative years, if you will. So, um, what... I know we talked about you playing mandolin kind of as your main instrument. You play guitar. What what other instruments do you play now? Really, uh, I, I play within the mandolin family, mm. which includes the mandolin, and then there's a mandola and a mandocello. Mm-hmm. There's also a mando bass, but I don't, I don't try that. But uh, I spent some years in Atlanta, and we formed a mandolin orchestra, which had been popular at the turn of the 20th century, but there hadn't been one seated in Atlanta in 50 years. And just to give you a a little more background of the instruments, uh, the mandolin tunes up just like the violin. And the mandola tunes a fifth lower just as the viola. And the mandocello tunes like a cello, which is like like the mandolin, but an octave lower. Is there I mean, a, not is, the mandolin, like the mandola, but an octave lower. An octave lower, okay. Is there a mandolin banjo combo? Oh, yes, there's, <laughs> there, are, there is a mandolin banjo. Um, Jerry Garcia, one of my great uh, musical influences, uh, told David Grisman, a, a mm-hmm. wonderful mandolin player, very well known, uh, during the recording session they did where David Grisman used the mandolin banjo. He to, he, they, uh, Jerry Garcia said, that is truly an obnoxious instrument because it is loud and it is brash. <laughs> but at the same time, mandolin orchestras were um, in vogue. There were also um, uh, also banjo orchestras that had a different size and different tunings. And, wow, and that and chased that sort of thing. chased a lot of people away. I'm sure the idea of a <laughs> well, it, it might have. It was it uh, it. Um, you know, in the early days of the 20th century, the mandolin was a very popular instrument, and the banjo came into its own after that, and the guitar comes in kind of third to uh-huh. it took on as a, as a real uh, mainstream popular instrument well, for it, people to play. 
and I should say for for those listening, um, I play banjo, so when I poke fun at it, I, you know, I now, mean no offense to anyone that does. I don't know why, but the banjo is the butt of a lot of jokes. It, it really is. It really is. <laughs> and I, I've been told from the symphony players that the viola is the Oh, the, the joke about, of so. the orchestra. Okay, <laughs> interesting, interesting. Well, I've always heard um, when people ask the difference between an open back banjo and a resonator, you know, banjo, and I always heard the difference was um, as though it wasn't annoying enough, someone stuck a microphone on it, and that's the resonator, <laughs> you know, so that bluegrass banjo style is even louder. <laughs> well, the old-time banjos didn't have tone rings, or or if they did, they had spun brass rings. And um, uh, and then they come up with the heavy bell bronze rings, and that's when it really got good and loud. <laughs> good and loud, that's exactly right. So... Um, you mentioned uh, Jerry Garcia, and you have your guitar with you, so I thought maybe uh, you might be willing to play a song for us I'll here be in happy the studio. To. This song, um, I've it loved for many years, and I've uh, learned it, or at least I think I have. I guess you'll find out here shortly. But uh, Jerry Garcia sang this song on two couple of different recordings, yeah, but it's uh, it's about the Battle of Fredericksburg, Virginia, during the Civil War, and it's uh, from the northern viewpoint, from told from the viewpoint of a northern soldier, and and its significance primarily to me is uh, the it really points out the horrors of of war itself, and and it's a it's a it's an interesting little melody. I'll I'll give you a little bit of it here. Just a blue-eyed Boston boy His voice was low with pain I'll do your bidding, comrade mine If I write back again But if you write back and I am left You'll do as much for me Mother, you know, must hear the news, so write to her tenderly. Her fond face filled with 
with woe. Her heart will be broken when I am gone. I'll see her soon, I'll know. Then the order came to charge for an instant hand to hand. They both said I and away they rode that brave and devoted band. Straight was a track to the top of the hill. The rebels they shot and shelled, plowed furrows of death through the toiling ranks and guarded them where they fell. And then came a horrible dying yell from heights they could not obtain. And those that doom and death had spared broke slowly down again. Among the dead that were left on the hill was the boy with the curly hair. The tall, dark man that rode by his side laid beside him there. There was no one to write to the blue-eyed girl the words her lover had said. Mother, you know, awaits the news. She'll only know he's dead. Well, you're listening to MPB Think Radio. This is Mississippi Arts Hour, and I'm your host, Melody Moody Thordis. Um, I You just heard from our guest in the studio playing live, Hal Jeans. Hal, thanks for blessing us with that song. It was just a beautiful song. Well, it captivated me, and uh, I'm, I, I'm the, I'll do my best to sing it. The riot <laughs> shouldn't be sung. You always think of Bill Monroe, who uh, is considered the father of bluegrass music. Elvis Presley recorded one of Bill's songs early on, "Blue Moon of Kentucky." Oh, okay. I didn't and Bill, that. Uh, Bill, in his in his way of uh, saying things, he said, "Well, if that helped him in his career, I'm glad he recorded it." And uh, 
uh, I know he did it the best he could. <laughs> so that's kind of where I, where I am doing that. But then, that but then Bill Monroe uh, followed that with, he said, but those checks that came in from the uh, royalties, he said they were some very powerful checks. <laughs> I'm sure. <laughs> and he did his best. Elvis Presley did his best. That's right. <laughs> well, uh, speaking of Bill Monroe, I'm curious, what are, what are some of your other favorite musicians? Well, uh, I've always loved music of just about any type and grew up sitting in front of a radio, one of those old uh, tall wooden cased radios that had belonged to my dad. And and uh, I mostly listened in to uh, music my brother, the station he'd tuned to. But when I got interested in music uh, and, and was at an age to buy records, um, I guess I was I was spending my money on the Rolling Stones. Oh, at Rolling Stones! Yeah, okay. and, and a lot of a lot of my friends were the Beatles, and I loved the Beatles, but the Stones captivated me, and um, and that's uh, you know several other rock and roll groups of the time that I enjoyed. Was uh, I'm dating myself, but <laughs> Steppenwolf and Creedence Clearwater Revival, Great and, and and then I saw a movie on television one night about the life of Hank Williams. And that absolutely blew me away. Mm-hmm. And from that point forward, I became a Hank Williams fan, which I still am to this day. Of course, in the teenage years, I didn't tell my friends that uh, I was so into Hank and his country music. But by the time I got to college, I didn't care who knew. and. Uh, and so that was a huge influence on on my music the rest of the rest of my life to this point and and I guess about the time I went off to college, I got into the Grateful Dead, mm-hmm. and that was the next big influence on on my music love of music those two things. And then um, after college was said and done, I, I mean, I liked bluegrass music and that, but hadn't thought a whole lot about being a party to it. And uh, But after after school was done, had a couple of years out, well, we, several of us decided to get together and and uh, start playing again. And we didn't really have a... Uh, we didn't really have a set goal of what we were going to do, but uh, the uh, country... Uh, rock, rock, country, rock was a very popular thing at that time, and so we started there. But then we 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 kind of eased over to bluegrass for whatever reason, and so then I started immersing myself in to the roots of bluegrass, which uh, Bill Monroe is mm-hmm. the, is considered to be the father of, and uh, so I that's where that uh, that next influence comes from those guys and Bill. Uh, Bill was an interesting individual because uh, bluegrass music uh, is not but a few years older than rock and roll as a stylized form. It's not, it's not old like old time string band music. But what Bill did was take uh, s- some of the music from the from the old time, the Appalachian style, and mixed it with the blues. He had a he had a black uh, guitarist that taught him quite a bit when he was a kid and, and taught the world of. And 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 then it put his own thing, his own twist to it. And there you have bluegrass. And I guess it was one of the what I would think was one of the first uh, 
first fusion music genres. Yeah, the way you described it, it really does sound like it. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. Welcome back to the Mississippi Arts Hour on MPB Radio. Each week on the Arts Hour, representatives from the Mississippi Arts Commission speak with different creative people living in Mississippi. Today I'm speaking with Mississippi musician Hal Jeans. So Hal, before the break, we were talking about uh, Bill Monroe, the father of bluegrass, and uh, I liked your description of bluegrass as the first fusion uh, fusion music. I, I think about that a lot when I think about um Describing old-time string band music and and uh, trying to explain Americana. You know, that's kind of the, yes, the term that yes. seems to resonate with people. Well, more people uh, more people know what that term means now. I mean, just a few years ago, you could have said, um, uh, we're going to do an Americana show, and they would know what you're talking about. And um, of, of the music we play in uh, in two groups, I've done the Vernon Brothers, which is a bluegrass band for mm-hmm. for the past thirty nine years. It doesn't seem possible, but it, it has been. And and then um, along the way, we uh, got with another fellow named Steve Chester, who's just a wonderful, wonderful singer. And we we started a group called the Delo Trio, and we do with that uh, uh, the full gambit of Americana. So we'll do some old classic country, some gospel music. And when I say classic country, I'm talking about Hank Williams and Lefty uh-huh. Frizzell and Porter Wagner and some of those guys. And uh, we'll do a little jazz. We'll, do, we'll, do, we'll just mix it up pretty good. But I've been associated with the Vernons so long before that, and it doesn't matter what I do, somebody's going to say that's bluegrass. But what the it, little trio yeah. does is not bluegrass, but right, that's well, all right. Uh, in fact, a lot of music that's advertised as bluegrass nowadays is kind of veered from the, that's right. from what I what I consider to that's be right. true. That's right. A lot of old-time music that I love is classified by people as bluegrass, and I just try not to yeah, argue because yeah, yeah. I want them to love old It's so much time. older. That, uh, that old time is so much older right. than bluegrass. Right, and, and I'm from Appalachia. So and, well, we, people, <laughs> people, you know, the, the, the purest in the old-time music world, uh, um, you know, they try to keep the tra- tradition. Mm-hmm. Uh, old-time music's all about the fiddle and then the banjo, the mandolin that I play, um, uh, that's that's way down the list. In fact, the guitar is not even uh, mm-hmm. not even considered central to it. In fact, in back in back in those uh, old days in rural America, um, um, a band might consist of just a fiddle and a banjo, right? Because there weren't very many musicians, and that's so right. I, I, and that's nice. I, I, at one point in my life, I, I sang. Uh, barbershop quartet music and one of the fellows that played music with us directed the the magnolia chapter of the barbershoppers here in jackson and he wanted us to to follow him over there and learn more about singing harmony and whatnot but they are they are the strictest of any uh genre about keeping that pure in fact if a if a barbershop quartet wants to perform in a contest any song that they arranged on their own and not one of the already prearranged many songs that are available, they'll have to get it approved from Kenosha, Wisconsin in the headquarters before they are even allowed to do it. And wow. so uh, old time kind of has that same <laughs> sort of thing, not, not as strict, not as organized, of course, 
and then bluegrass, what you have in bluegrass, it having being a, a what I call a fusion of music, it had it had a lot more leeway. Bill Monroe was not so staunch in in what he did, and uh, he tried a lot of different things in it, and and you know, so it had a lot of room for improvisation. But so you don't have a a strict way to say what is bluegrass and. And what is not, but you have the bluegrass police who will be glad to tell you that, and that's made up of any a number of self-appointed uh, people. <laughs> so. Self-appointed, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> well, I was thinking about trying to on the way over trying to think about when we met, when we first met, Alan. The best I could come up with was. This was probably around 2005 or so. Um, I was putting on, uh, planning an event, um, which at the time I was calling a bluegrass festival, working with our mutual friend Jamie Williams we referenced earlier. And I said, I asked him, can you book the music for this festival? So I was doing fundraising at the time. And I said, I want it to be a bluegrass festival. And I don't care who you book but we have to have the Vernon Brothers. Like, no matter what, we have to have the Vernon Brothers because people will come if we get the Vernon Brothers. And he said, well, I happen to have a connection, you know, because, of course, he and you have been good friends. And and I believe that's when you and I first met. But I just remember the reputation of the Vernon Brothers really preceding you, you know, as a bluegrass fan. So you said you've been playing with them for 39 years. Yep, we... uh... We, we we picked up the new instruments and the book on how to play it in three easy steps and <laughs> set forth by the, uh, in 1980, February of 1980. Okay. And, um, and just as, I think within the year, we probably knew 10 songs and we had bought a PA system and we set out doing gigs. And when we ran out of those 10 songs, we just started over again. And... <laughs> <laughs> So as I was doing, trying to do some research on, on the Vernons, I came across um, y'all's nicknames. So, so where did the name? Tell, if you will, tell our audience where, where did the name the Vernon Brothers come from? If no one has the last name Vernon, well, that's true. There are no Vernons among <laughs> us. Um, I used to say that we called ourselves Vernons because of some mix-ups with the credit card company. Oh, uh huh. But it, but uh, truly. Uh, we were trying to come up with names, and we had a list of names that people uh, we brought in, put on the table, and nobody could agree on them. Uh-huh. And so I took the members that, of, of that time and crisscrossed common letters of their name, <laughs> and I came up with Vernon. And everybody uh, said, uh, I like that. They felt like they had a piece of it. And it's been easy to remember, apparently. Yeah. And uh, so, plus we could make up, uh, we could make up, uh, all sorts of stories on Vernon's Gap and our family and Grandma Vernon and Grandpa Vernon and Uncle Va- Vanderbilt and Aunt Von Seal and it's just just been a fun thing. To I do. never thought about the storytelling Laura that could come from a made-up family name. There. Well, yeah, it's not the, uh, uh, the everyone had his nickname. Now I wrote down you and your wife Connie, Dennis Phillips, and Johnny Rawls. Are those the Throughout the thirty-nine years, or has no, that we've changed? had many. We've had many changes. Uh-huh. In fact, uh, many De- Dennis, Dennis uh, Phillips retired, and uh, uh, Jerry Brooks oh, has right. come back to fill the banjo slot. And uh, Jerry was a Vernon for many years 
way back when. Uh, probably when uh, I'm sure it was when Jamie first uh, uh-huh. first started. Jamie Weems first started coming out to see us. And uh, I'm just imagining. So we've had uh, we've had lots of. Uh, Lots of changes over the years, and and some some Vernons that are no longer with us as well. So, I'm I'm just could imagine your banter on stage, welcoming Brother Vernon back to the <laughs> back to the crew after many years away. Um, will you still play with the Vernons? Yes. Yeah. We don't. We're not. We don't do as many gig dates as uh, as we used to. We used to do about a hundred dates a year, and. Oh. That's kind of slowed up. We've all got other interests, and the D-Lo Trio has taken up a, a fair amount of uh, the mainstream uh, gigging time for me. But uh, we, well, the Vernons still play all the time. We do a lot of private events, and uh, we'll be at Howling Miles from time to time. And mm-hmm. uh, we've been performing at the Neshoba County Fair on the, on the grandstand uh, for, golly, 25 years or so. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, We'll be there this July, the end of July, for two shows, and so the Vernons are very much, uh, very much alive and well. Well, great! And then you and your wife Connie and Steve Chester make up the D'Lo Trio, and you all three sing in harmony. Yes. So yes. that's is that kind of the go-to thing? Well, what we well, that's what we like. We mm-hmm. like the harmony singing, and uh, and and. The three of us, it seems to come so easy uh, to to put the parts or the arrangements together, and and uh, we also kind of go down the line. Uh, when we start a gig, usually Steve will sing the first song, I'll sing the second song, and Connie will sing the third song, the lead the lead part, uh-huh. and 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 the rest of us harmonize behind whoever's singing lead. And we just keep that circle going, and 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 to me that that uh, that keeps the sound uh, fresh and varied. You know, you know, I know you heard bands where they had one lead singer in at some point. Each song sounded like the last one you heard. That's right. Well, that's the goal here is not to have have that sort of thing. So, do you guys play mostly covers? Do you write original songs? We've got a, we've got some, a couple of originals, but mostly covers. There's so many songs. Right. To learn so many songs that I love, I'll never, I'll never get to them. <laughs> exactly. And and uh, I'd rather, I'd rather do a, a a great song that Hank Williams or someone else wrote than than to piece together one myself that I uh, don't think could stand up next to the others. It would be like holding up a candle in front of a circus light. I just. Uh, <laughs> I just so that's what we do mostly. Well, that I think I think that should inspire people listening out there who are are fearful about you know not being a songwriter but wanting to play. You know, I know it it tre- it's you know makes me nervous because I feel the same. I have so many covers because there's so many wonderful songs that I want to play, and then I stop short thinking, well, no, I I can't play till I write more originals. But, right. Uh, well, uh, you know, and you you may find yourself inspired to write more originals as time goes by, but I've just enjoyed doing what we do so much that I don't, I don't feel badly for not having 
uh, trying to, to be more creative in that sense. I mean, I've taken uh, songs that didn't have enough verses and written another verse for them and that sort of thing <laughs> just to make it. <laughs> a little creative license there. That's the creativity. So you've, you've, you've uh, done so many different performances. Um, I'm curious if you would share with us um, maybe one of your most memorable gigs, uh, you know, good or bad, <laughs> that comes <laughs> to mind. Well, I um I've got I've got a lot of memorable gigs uh in my mind. Most of them are good. I don't think I ever had but one really really bad experience. Well, two. I guess I'll say two, but I don't I don't I'm not going to I'm not going to go into detail about them because <laughs> <laughs> involves uh, too many people that oh, we all know, yeah. and uh, not that it was any of their faults, but uh, uh, mostly everything has been upbeat and wonderful, and, uh, you know, we've done a lot of things we were proud of. We've been on the uh, Mill Saps Arts and Lecture Series. We've uh, we've performed for the President of the United States. Uh, we've uh, played for what was then called the Peking Opera when they came to Jackson uh, uh, in they seemed very entertained with our music. I wasn't sure how those opera folks were going to take to us, but they they were very receptive. And you know, we've done so many uh, festivals and and club gigs, and I've enjoyed them. I really do enjoy the live show. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people are 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 pleased and satisfied to sit on their couch and and play play the guitar and entertain themselves, and that's a wonderful thing. And they don't have a desire to go out and play play public gigs, and that's fine. Mm-hmm. But I really do get excited about the live show. Well, I think that's evident in how much you 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 do play. So I have to ask you as we as we start to wrap up here, uh, what's it like playing music with your wife? Oh, that works out mostly mostly good. <laughs> <laughs> Well, she, it surely it's works interesting. Out for that's, uh, that's something else that's uh, worthy of, of uh, note is the difference between us and our music. See, I I can sit back and listen to music and just lose myself in the enjoyment of the of the song. And Connie is is so busy dissecting the whole thing; she can't relax uh-huh. and really listen. Then there's a lot of musicians that are that way, uh-huh. and I'm thankful that I'm not one of them. <laughs> <laughs> well, you don't need two, right? I mean, well, you guys can you work know, off that, each other. Yeah, but uh, we uh, we've enjoyed singing together so much. Well, Hal, I just thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for playing live in the studio. And, uh, you know, I'm always I'm always uh, so happy to pick your brain about music and all kinds of other things. So thanks again. And thanks, everyone, for listening to the Mississippi Arts Hour. If you missed part of this interview or want to listen again, go to mpbonline.org backslash Mississippi Arts Hour. And be sure to tune in each week for the Mississippi Arts Hour, a co-production of MPB Radio and the Mississippi Arts Commission.